You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it the wrong way. This is Play by Play Cast, the world's number one sports media podcast. Wait, what? Nobody's fact checking it, just keep going. Here we go. Who the hell is Happy Gilmore? Got all that on camera, right, John? Sure, I did. All right, because the red light was not on. The podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. Oh, you can stick me in some kind of Italian boat because that one is Gondola. Now, from New York. Really? All the big ones are from New York. Your host, Joe Godet. It's still Joel. Yeah, he will not be able to see very well, Cotton. All right, episode number 157 of Play by Play Cast. Thanks, as always, for the subscribe, the stream, the download. You have found the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters. Hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster, professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparation of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. My name, of course, is Joel Godet. You can find us on social media at PXPCast. I am at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T, and I am back from España. I'm one of those people that needs a vacation from my vacation, though. Like, I was thinking about it yesterday. I I can't even remember what I did on the first day I was there because like day two, three, and four, I jam packed so much stuff into one week. Like I was was tourist McTourist. If you could do it, I did it. I didn't even eat lunch. I did not eat lunch one day I was there. Too much to do. And like by the time I got around to eating lunch, it'd be four o'clock and I was like, you know what? I'll wait for dinner which I found out didn't start until like 8.30 in Spain. So I just waited a little longer. <laughs> but it was a good vacation. Um, still just a little pooped. But uh, next week, get to go home and then get right into the thick of things. Chance to call the Little League World Series softball action on uh, ESPN 3+. Plus. Uh, I think it's on Plus uh, the next week after that. And then... Um, the week after that, or I think a couple days after that, heading to Costa Rica with Ball State men's basketball for the international tour that NCAA teams are allowed the opportunity to take every four years. And then it's fall football training camp. So here we go. Summer is uh, all but over if you're a college announcer or if uh, specifically you're me. Media days are just around the corner, so we're all getting right back into the thick of things. Our guest today comes from the Big 12. His name is John Walters. He is the voice of the Iowa State Cyclones and a whole bunch of different things to touch on. We'll talk about uh, his getting into play-by-play because he always wanted to be a play-by-play announcer, but he started, uh, or at least immediately before he was the voice of the Cyclones, he was the voice at Drake, but he was also a television sports director. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, We will get into a unique aspect of his job in that, and I didn't know this, Iowa State has its own network. Like BYU, the university has its own network, and of course there's the Longhorn Network. Iowa State has what's called Cyclones.tv. It is a 24-hour network. It streams, but it's also linear in many parts of the state of Iowa. And John is in charge of that, which I thought was a cool little twist to his job that many of us uh, don't have on our plates So what's it like to deal uh, with programming a a network, so to speak, and and how that that network will change uh, as the landscape of sports media changes and ESPN deals and all that. 
uh, are coming up here. So uh, we'll get into it with John Walters. We start at the very beginning, though, with his initial love for play-by-play on this week's episode of PXP Cast. Well, what what really got started for me in play-by-play was when I was growing up, and I was the youngest kid in my class. Um, my birthday was Halloween. And so most of my friends in my class were a year older than I was. Um, and combined that with not great athleticism, um, <laughs> but loved playing. I mean, every day after school, it was baseball, football, basketball, didn't matter. We were playing every single day. And I just loved sports and I loved being around it. I loved, you know, watching games, listening to games. I grew up in Chicago in the suburbs and in, in Glen Ellen, Illinois. Uh, and we had great, great announcers in Chicago and Jim Durham doing the Bulls games, uh, Lloyd Pettit doing the Blackhawks, um, you know, Harry Carey eventually doing the White Sox and then the Cubs. And um, so I, I had the opportunity to listen to some really great play by play when I was a young kid and just enjoyed it. I always thought it was fun. to. I, I enjoyed the announcers as much as I enjoyed the games. And. Uh, you eventually came to the realization that I'm not going to be doing anything playing sports, uh, but I want to be around it on a daily basis. And I lucked into the fact that we had a high school radio station, WGHS, uh, 10 watt station, <laughs> Glenbard West High School. And uh, you couldn't hear it with, you know, two tin cans and a piece of string between it would have been <laughs> about the same the same reception. But it didn't matter because you're you're still calling the games, you know, and it doesn't matter if anybody's listening or not. You're getting that experience of, of doing it. And so I did our high school football and basketball games. And that's when I really knew that's what I wanted to do. And uh, started paying even closer attention to Jim Durham, especially the Bulls announcer at the time. Um, picking up on little things that he would say and ways he would describe things and maybe kind of stealing a thing or two from him, but just kind of tailoring my style to that Um, and just did as much play-by-play as I possibly could. And then I went to college for it at Drake University in Des Moines and wanted to go to a smaller university because I wanted to really get hands-on right away uh, and get as many opportunities as I could. And I pretty much did play-by-play throughout my years at Drake and then uh, got into local television as a full-time job, um, but always had my eye on play-by-play. And even just a couple of years into my full-time profession in TV, um, asked our sports director if I could do uh, Drake women's basketball games because an opening was there to do about a dozen games. Did those. Uh, really enjoyed them for about four years. Um, then the men's basketball job opened, and I switched over to the men's side and did uh, seven years of Drake men's basketball and then eventually ended up and was balancing TV with it. And uh, that was difficult at times, especially when I started doing the men's games, because I was doing every game and I was making up every day that I was gone at the TV station oh. where I worked. Yeah. So I worked pretty much um, straight through uh, from the time basketball season started till it ended. I, th- there weren't very many days off, maybe one or two, uh, but I was I was it was that important to me to do it. I really wanted to do it and get as much experience doing play by play. I knew that's what I really ultimately wanted to do. And ultimately it ended up leading to a television work with ESPN plus and the Missouri Valley conference. I did some Missouri Valley games for their network. And then I did ESPN plus with the big 12 and with Iowa state and um, ultimately ended up leading to when Pete Taylor, the, the man who introduced me to the business really um, who hired me at, at my first TV job, passed away. 
uh, very tragically, uh, I took his spot uh, on the radio and continued and continued my work in TV as a sports director. But play by play has always been my passion. It's always been what I've enjoyed. And that's kind of the path I took. Sorry for the long-winded answer. No, no, we got all the time in the world. Uh, it's a podcast. Uh, um, <laughs> That's true. Uh, a couple things I want to dissect there. And the first one is being a television anchor or a television sports director and also being the voice of a team um, and how that was viewed. And, and I guess it's different, particularly on the women's side, that was probably great because now it's this inroad to like – getting yourself on television more a little bit because the TV guy knows your story. Uh, but when you go over to the men's side, how did you toe the line of, hey, he's our guy, he's our voice, versus being also the the down-the-middle sports anchor, trusted newsman, so to speak, um, in that role? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think I, I treated it really like two separate worlds almost. You know, when I was... In my sports anchor uh, position, I probably bent over backwards to make sure that I was very fair to the other teams in our market, um, maybe even went too far in, in the direction of trying to you know, come off as being fair and not uh, biased towards the school that I was doing play-by-play for. I think I was fortunate in that the person who hired me, as I mentioned, Pete Taylor, was the voice of the Cyclones for 33 years. And Pete had balanced those two jobs beautifully, uh, had done a great job, sports director at the number one ranked station in Iowa, KCCI, and also the play-by-play voice of Iowa State. And nobody ever questions Pete, questioned Pete's integrity at all. Uh, in fact, he, he had probably more integrity than just about anybody you'd come across. And so um, I think he balanced it really well. And that probably laid a foundation for me to be able to do the same thing. I was very fortunate in that regard. And then you have to have bosses on the TV side that understand your passion of what you want to do ultimately in your in your profession and a willingness to go along with that, because that part's very difficult. And as people try to get into play-by-play, finding that other, you know, you, not many people can just do play-by-play and have that be their living when they're starting out, unless you are lucky enough to, uh, you know, all of a sudden become the voice of the Chicago Bulls or something. And and so, uh, you know, you have to kind of ease your way into it and you have to have another full-time job, but one with the, the willingness to give you that flexibility to be available. And, I think that the people I worked for at the time at KCCI TV in Des Moines were, were very fair to me. Uh, again, I, I made sure that I was fair to them, too. I, I said, look, I want to come in and make up the days that I'm going to be gone when I'm traveling with the team. I don't want it to be a, a strain on, on you and your staff. And so, you know, they were willing to go along with that. And I don't, I don't think if I, if I had probably not done that, I probably wouldn't have gotten that opportunity. But again, it was so important to me to get – as much play-by-play experience as possible. Well, and I guess also that comes hand-in-hand with having a TV station that understands or being able to make the case, like, why this is good for the TV station, that you have somebody who is also the voice of the Bulldogs, or in Pete's case, who who is the voice of the Cyclones, and and why that can be a symbiotic relationship and, and trying to find the reason of what benefits the TV station and letting you do that. Well, I think so. And I, and I think it, it does help in some regards, you know, when you're trying to break stories uh, on TV and you're well connected at a university, it does help you break a few stories. Yes. You know, you find out a few things. And so, um, 
But even at the schools that I wasn't the play-by-play voice for, I was fortunate to be able to break some stories about what was going on with their universities as well. And so, um, you know, I, I tried to treat it separately, but there's no question. There's some overlap there. And I think from uh, an audience perspective, um, you know, if, if they're a fan of that team, sure, that that has to help. They're probably going to watch your station when it comes time to watch the sportscast. Uh, but hopefully you're fair enough to the other teams that they'll still watch uh, under those circumstances. How did you and Pete Taylor first interact? How did you first uh, develop a relationship? So I was a student at Drake and doing as much play-by-play as I could and doing just a little bit of TV stuff. I had you know, just gotten into TV a little bit, was really learning about that, didn't really have any intention of getting into TV. Uh, and our Drake professor, uh, John Lytle, uh, came to three of us and said, hey, there's an opening for a part-time news reporter at KCCI-TV in Des Moines, number one station. Uh, you'd work about 20 hours a week. You'd work weekends. Uh, but they want to, and back then you did that kind of stuff. Now you, you would never see a college student put into that role, <laughs> but it was a little different back then. It was a little different. And so myself and two far more qualified people uh, went to the news director, uh, Paul Rhodes was his name, no relation to our former football coach. I was say. And uh, sat in front of him and he looked at my stuff and he says, well, John, it looks like everything you've done is in sports. And I said, yeah, that's, that's pretty much true. <laughs> And he said, why don't you go across the hall and talk to Pete Taylor, our sports director? And so I did. And I walked in said, hey, Pete, I introduced myself. And um, He said, great. Can you go to the Iowa-Wisconsin game this Saturday? I'm like, yeah, you know, that'd be great. You know, and and so um, I, I just very, very lucky. And they obviously hired one of the other people that was uh, – interviewing for the news position I, I was thanking my lucky stars for the way that meeting with paul rhodes went because i never really was that interested in being a news anchor or, or a reporter anyway i'd much rather be in sports and so when he sent me across the hall i was in heaven and pete couldn't have been better about it and i didn't even know if i had a job yet i went to that iowa wisconsin game and you know then he said, kept sending me the other stuff and uh next thing you know i was getting a paycheck and worked there part-time all the way through the rest of my college years and then uh, it, uh, ended up transitioning into a full-time role when i graduated but he was absolutely a gem i mean one of the best people you could ever possibly meet tremendous broadcaster uh we lost him way too young uh at age 57 and um, and you would have never thought he would ever have a health problem. He was the healthiest guy he'd ever been around. And um, it was just a tragic, tragic loss when we lost him. But I, I was very fortunate to be one of Pete's best friends. Uh, certainly he was one of my best friends without any doubt. I think a lot of people call him uh, their best friend. Um, but we had we had a great relationship and he was always uh, really, really good to me through all those years. What made him great? The, you know, the, the lack of an ego, I, I think, is what made Pete great. Um, he never took himself too seriously. He took the broadcast seriously, and he prepared and, and did a great, great job. Nobody was more on top of the action and able to describe things well than Pete. But at the same time, he brought a um, a, a connection, and, and you're, you're familiar with this. You know, when a broadcaster really makes that connection with their fan base and they feel like that's one of them and, you know, they they feel like they know Pete. Everybody felt like they knew Pete uh, inside and out. And 
Um, and, and that's, the, I think, in that era of play-by-play, and we're talking, you know, in the in the 70s and 80s, when not as many games were on TV, those play-by-play broadcasters for a local team were were gold. And that's how you saw the games. And, and Pete described them so beautifully, and, and fans just felt that connection. And uh, But he never got carried away with that. He never, you know, started thinking he was something – uh, sensational because of that. He, he just uh, was very humble and down to earth, but fun and and, a, and had a great sense of humor and uh, just a joy to be around. And so I, I think all those things combined uh, made Pete what he was. How hard do you think that is nowadays? Because I I don't know, I, I feel like there's there's a sense in this industry and maybe ego is not the right word, but you've got to have a, a healthy confidence in yourself and your ability. Otherwise, you can very easily get eaten up by it. But at the same time, it's so important to not let that overwhelm you for all of the reasons you just mentioned. Um, why and how was he able to strike the right balance? And, and how do we all go about doing that? Well, that's a that's a tremendous question. And um yeah, you're right. Everybody has an ego. Um, can you check it at the door? Uh, Matt Campbell, our football coach, says ego is the enemy. <laughs> he takes it on even more strongly. Um, but I think realizing that a lot of people are good at their jobs and you happen to have a job where you're describing games and you're calling them for an audience. And, um, you know, with that comes a lot of attentions at times. And uh, people generally like you when they see you. If they're a fan of that team, they want to say hi. They want to share a story about their favorite game. And 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 I think you need to embrace that. Um, I I loved what uh, Bob Costas said once about um, you know interacting with fans out in public and how it takes just as long to be a jerk to somebody as it does to be genuine and, and, and say something nice to them and, and make their day. And you never know, especially if you're talking to a kid, uh, the impact that that could have, you know, I mean, you, that might be something that 15 years later, a, a kid that's interested in broadcasting says, well, I remember being warmly embraced by, you know, the, the voice of the Hawkeyes or the voice of the Bulldogs or whatever the case may be. And, and he was genuine and nice to me. And it really encouraged me to keep going. And I think for me, that, that blessing was Pete, you know, having somebody who, who treated me with a lot of respect, probably more than I deserved early on, uh, really gave me the confidence to keep going with it. And, um, so I, I think it's important to understand that, you know, your actions do affect people and sometimes you might think it's just a quick little interaction that you're going to forget about in maybe two days. But but that person that you're talking to might not forget about it for quite some time if, if it was a big deal to them to talk to you. And so um, I, I think that's important. But at the same time, not getting so carried away with it that, you know, that you think that that it should be a big deal to that person to talk to you. <laughs> you know, you want to treat them like a human being and and. Uh, and share their passion for their team. And so I, I just think being grounded is really important. And that was another great lesson, I hope, for me from from Pete, because that's exactly the way he was. How about on the air? Um, what did you most take away from what he did on the air? And, um, and I guess what were those things? What did he best do? What made him outstanding to listen to? Well, I just think the ease of his voice. You know, he never um, – he had a great voice for, for radio – 
um, but also a friendliness to that voice, you know, which when I talked about that connection with the fans earlier, I think that was the, the, the thing that Pete did so beautifully was have, um, a welcoming voice that, uh, people felt unintimidated by and they, they, they wanted to welcome that voice into their living room every week. And I probably picked up a lot from Pete and a lot from the broadcasters I listened to in Chicago. I mentioned Jim Durham, I guess, style wise, probably more of my style came from him. Although, uh, I certainly picked up a lot from Pete and just the way he handled things and, and most ultimately the way he treated people. Um, that, that was, that was the number one thing because, um, he, he treated everybody that he interacted with in a great, great way and made them all feel terrific. And I never met anybody who walked away from a conversation with him, uh, without a smile on their face, whether he just told a joke or just made them feel good, you know, and, and that's kind of the, the gift that he had that I think we all wish we had. If I can turn it, uh, inwards toward you now, um, above and beyond that, uh, what do you think most, um, grasps somebody into a broadcast what makes something what differentiates something from being a good call to a great call i think description is the is the key i i I feel like um radio play-by-play has changed so much through the years just because so many games are on tv and now there's more people turning down the tv and listening to the radio uh, so they're probably seeing the game in a lot of cases and, and it used to be the the opposite you were but but I don't think the art of sports casting, to borrow the the title of Tom Hedrick's book, which I I religiously uh, offer up to students who are interested in this, um, because I think it's such a great how-to book. But I, I don't think the art of sports casting itself has really changed that much. I, I think you're still trying to provide as detailed a call as you can of the action, uh, maybe without going overboard on that detail. Uh, I've heard announcers that you know. It, it can maybe be a little bit too much detail, you know, chest high dribble. Now it's a knee high dribble. Now chest high again, now knee high again, you know, you know, it's just dribbling out in your half court. So it's not, it doesn't have to be maybe described with that detail. Um, but as you get deeper into the play and it's the important aspects of it for people to be able to draw that, that visual image of what you saw and be able to recreate that in their minds, I think is the real key. There's nothing worse than listening to a a broadcast on the radio where it's just Johnson has the ball. Now it's over to Stevens. Now Williams has it back to Johnson. And you never know where the ball was on the floor. You never have any idea uh, how well defended a player was. You don't know if they were in a scoring position or if they were just holding the ball. You know, I mean, those little details really add up and provide, I think, a, a better call. And so um, to me, that's the, the beauty of radio play-by-play. I've done both. I've done television play-by-play, which is much more of just a conversation. And I think in television play-by-play, the analyst is the superstar, and you, and you want to set up that analyst and, and allow their wisdom about the game to come through, and you're just more the traffic cop that's that's along for the ride. Uh, I don't think you want to take over a a broadcast as a TV play-by-play. And I probably learned that the hard way. I probably was was that guy that was talking way too much when I started doing TV. But I think as the years went on, I got better at it. Um, But radio, um, it's really important for that play-by-play guy to be as descriptive as he can, but also have great, great energy. You know, and I, I think if somebody's listening to a game and they're sensing that that play-by-play broadcaster would rather be somewhere else 
why in the heck would they invest the time in, in wanting to listen to that game? You know, if they can tell that even if it's a blowout that, you know, and I'm not saying your emotions don't come into play and you don't have a different tone to your voice when it's 55 <laughs> to nothing. You do. There's no question. Um, but I think you still have to try to make it fun and interesting and entertaining and uh, and they have to they're not going to stay connected if you're not going to stay connected so i think that's really important where do you go in a situation like that um you know we always say that hey if you're down 55 nothing it's a great opportunity to tell stories um and it is but how do you how do you approach it and how do you keep it relevant to what is in front of you um while still being interesting I think one of the things that maybe just comes naturally because you get connected to the program that you're covering is that you share the fans' frustration in those moments. And I don't think anything summed it up. Unfortunately, at Iowa State, (laughs) through the years, we have had some examples of very lopsided losses that have gone against us in football. And uh, I'll give you a story of one that was maybe an all-time classic for us was, and I've I've been really blessed. I, I worked with Gary Thompson on TV, who was legendary, did uh, games with, you know, Dick Enberg and it, just a terrific uh, color man. And then when I went over to radio, I worked with Eric Haft and I've continued to work with Eric for my whole uh, going into my 17th year. And Eric was a great player at Iowa State and, and a terrific broadcaster entering his uh, 41st year on basketball and 36th on football. So he's been my broadcast partner the whole time. But we through the years have developed a pretty good relationship and some chemistry and you know, Iowa State was when Art Bryles really had it rolling at Baylor. Uh, they were steamrolling Iowa State in Waco. It was really ugly, and it was, uh, I believe, sixty-three to nothing. And uh, that would have been the most lopsided uh, shutout loss in Iowa State history. And so, Iowa State scored the oh by the way touchdown with about a minute thirty to go, and. Uh, uh, I, I made the comment, well, at least it won't be the worst loss in school history now. And Eric said, oh, there's always the kickoff. There's always the kickoff, you know. <laughs> and so sure enough, you know, uh, Iowa State kicks off. Corey Coleman, who went on to uh, play in the NFL, uh, fields the kick at about the two-yard line. Off he goes. And about halfway down the field, my voice was just like, oh, geez, here we go. <laughs> and and uh, and by the end of the call, we were just, this is unbelievable. I said, Derek, I said, you're a savant, you know, because they touched down. I mean, even if they had tackled them at the 14 yard line or something, they would have taken a knee. It still would have ended 63 to seven, but no, it ended 70 to seven. And it was, uh, it was maybe the most lopsided loss in school history as it turned out. And so, um, it was, it was a, a real learning moment, but I think with those moments, you know, the, the fans are obviously upset. They're frustrated. I think it's okay to let them know that you're probably pretty frustrated too at those points without uh, bashing the players. Uh, you know, it, it, I, I try to be fair in that regard. I, I didn't play the game. And so um, I, I don't think it's right for me to sit there and criticize their effort unless it's really obvious. If you can tell that somebody's dog in it, then I think you have a responsibility to say that. Uh, fortunately for me, I haven't seen many examples of that with the Iowa State teams through the years. So, um, but I, I think you're fair, you're honest. You don't try to sugarcoat it. They would see right through that. 
but at the same time, you empathize with those guys out on the field because you know how hard they work, you know, and you know how tough it is for them. And no matter how frustrated you might be as a fan, it's 100 times more frustrating for them and for the coaches. So I try to be empathetic about that as well. How much do you go back and, and analyze things you've said, uh, games you've called? Uh, what's your, your re-listening like? I don't do a lot of that anymore. I probably did more when I first started. Um, I, pro- I, I actually don't go back and listen to any of my broadcasts anymore. I, I will watch the highlights if they have our radio call on it on like our coaches show or whatever, and I'll, I'll see the big plays. But I don't go back and listen to a whole game anymore. I used to do that. Um, I found that your time is so uh, precious, especially with the family and um, with the next game right around the corner. And I do football and basketball. And so uh, the overlap of seasons and I mean, it, 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 you really don't have a lot of time to sit and go back and listen to games. And so I will go back and watch them. Uh, I'll watch the TV broadcast, uh, listen to what they had to say. Um, but also try to pick up on some things that, because no matter how well you feel like you called a game, there's always things you miss. There's always things you didn't see the first time when you were watching it live. And so I always go back with my notes that I take during the game and I go back and I watch the game and I might jot down a thing about a guy that had a key block or, you know, a, uh, a guy that missed a tackle or whatever the case may be, uh, just to have that knowledge going forward. But just I enjoy rewatching the games and seeing the little interest, intricacies that I missed. Uh, and then I'm really big on film uh, if i use an antiquated term but going back and also recording the next team you're going to play and watching two or three of their games because i feel that's the best way to get prepared for your next game in addition to the game notes and the you know the charts and the things that you do i'm really big on tape and just watching and dvring as many games as i can and, and having the opportunity to see that team play a couple times so that I really feel comfortable with their personnel before Iowa State goes and plays them. Is that a is that a personnel thing first and foremost, or is it like will you look for trends of how they play or what they did? Or I mean, I'm sure it gives you a, an ability to reference back to things that happened in previous games. But but in your prep, uh, what's most important to you about being able to take in previous games? And and I guess I'll lump into that um, if you go to to Iowa State practices at all too. Yeah, I try to go to practices some. I, I don't make as many during the season as I make during the preseason, uh, but I think it's very valuable. And then in spring practice, I'm out there a lot. Um, I think it's very valuable to be to be able to get to some practices and see the team. Uh, but but I think the biggest thing is you you ultimately end up knowing your team very very well. And uh, so my preparation, uh, although it, it certainly includes getting you know some trends that are going on with Iowa State and rewatching their games and things of that nature, um, when I'm watching uh, the opponent, that's where I'm really studying and and not not trying to put myself on a pedestal or anything because I really am looking at personnel. I'm, I'm not smart enough to know whether these for, formations are going to be a trend that I, you know, go to our defensive coordinator and say, Hey, you better watch for this. I don't do that at all. So, you know, I, uh, but I think our color guy, Eric Heff, probably, you know, having played uh, college basketball, when he watches a basketball game, he can probably pick up on a few things that he can certainly add strategy wise. I, I watch that stuff and I pay attention to it, but I don't necessarily uh, put that at the top of my list of why I do it. I, I, 
I certainly do it to try to make myself as familiar as possible with the personnel. And particularly, you know, if you get into, you're getting ready to play an NCAA tournament opponent, and you find out on Sunday who you're playing on Thursday, um, and it might be Iona, and you haven't watched one of their games this year. And man, thank goodness for the invention of ESPN3 or ESPN Plus, because I'm going back that night. And, and, and I also DVR a ton of games. I DVR all those conference tournament finals and anything, because you just never know who you're going to get, you know. Um, but I, I, it really, really helps before I do a broadcast to be able to watch that team and also listening to some of the great announcers on TV calling those games. Well, you pick up little the nuggets that you can share with your audience during your broadcast as well, so it serves that purpose too. I want to ask you about a non-play-by-play thing that you do professionally as well. Um, I, I didn't know that Iowa State had its own 24-7 network of – I mean, I, I guess formerly, uh, is, is it still linear or is it just digital now? Well, it's a, it's a digital uh, channel, which we also carry on local cable. So in the state of Iowa, and it dips into four surrounding states just a little bit, it's called Cyclones.TV, and it is a 24-hour, seven days a week, uh, dedicated to Iowa State Athletics channel. Um and so they basically have just picked up what we did digitally, but also we now program it. And I'm in charge of uh, putting in what the programming is going to be. So if you have if you have uh, four or five favorite Iowa State games, you just let me know because I can make it your day <laughs> on Cyclones.tv. I, I, I can cater the menu to you. Uh, but it's just it, it's a fun thing. It's a neat thing. It's very unique. Uh, BYU has its own television network, but it's not all just sports. Obviously, there's the Longhorn Network, um, which is just Texas sports. But because of the Big 12's unique arrangement with Tier 3, uh, Cyclones.TV exists in its form today. So we're really one of three nationally that that have that kind of an entity. But, of course, everything's changing with the ESPN Plus contract that's been agreed to with the Big 12 and ESPN. Uh, we'll jump on board with that. Four, four of the Big 12 schools will jump on this year. We'll jump on to that next year. And we hope to continue Cyclones.TV in some way, shape, or form. We think it will. I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like. We will not have live events on there anymore uh, as far as games because those properties will be owned by ESPN. Uh, But we will have, hopefully, replays of games, uh, live press conferences, coaches' shows, and a lot of the documentary-type shows that we do uh, that we really enjoy putting together. So. Uh, It's been a great boon for Iowa State Athletics, I think. It's gotten us into corners of the state. And you have to understand the state of Iowa, you know, uh, for years in the the 70s and the 80s, uh, early 80s in particular, Iowa really dominated the landscape in terms of media because uh, they were in every corner of the state, uh, WHO radio, which had a very powerful signal and then, you know, had far more games televised than Iowa State. Um, that that has obviously shifted and it is much more of a level playing field now. But still, there was a lot of ground to cover there. And especially in the corners of the state, you know, we're right here in central Iowa. But when you got into Dubuque or Sioux City or some of those areas where um, there there wasn't as much uh, coverage of Iowa State, the ability to put our Cyclones.TV network in some of those markets has really enhanced our, our uh, exposure in those markets, and it's been a great thing for Iowa State. What else does it give you to worry about uh, in terms of content creation, and and I is particularly in this day and age how you balance 
the documentary type stuff you guys do with new media and short form and what plays well on Twitter and Instagram versus what you might do for television? That's a great question. And it, it, it changes constantly. Uh, I think in recent years, our focus has gotten more to uh, social media and recruiting, you know, uh, trying to help our programs attract great players and um, trying to tailor some of our short form videos to something that a eight is 17, 18 year old kid might really be impressed by and think, wow, that looks like a cool place. I, I think I'd like to go visit there because what we found at Iowa state through the years is that uh, when, when guys come on campus to visit, they oftentimes commit, but it's hard sometimes just to get them to come here. Uh, they picture one thing and then they come here and it's something completely different. They, they just picture one big cornfield, you know, for the state of <laughs> Iowa and, and they get here and they find out, no, it's a great campus, a uh, great college town and uh, Des Moines, a vibrant city, not far from here. And, and so uh, they tend to find that it's a lot more than they had anticipated a great, great fan base. And so we try to sell those things, not maybe sells the wrong word, but give our, our coaches those, those tools to kind of enhance their, their product. Um, but at the same time, you're putting on a 24 seven channel and you're trying to put on the best programming that you can on there. And uh, no question. You're repeating a lot of classic games and you're repeating a lot of, you know, if you, if you want to see uh, Troy Davis cyclone legend and you're a fan of cyclones.tv, you've seen it. Trust me. <laughs> Cause you know, it's been on, I think 120 times we've aired it, you know, and it's going to be 120 more probably in the next two years. But uh, um, you know, so it, it's not that all the programming is fresh, but uh, we, we do, we juggle a lot of different things. Um, you know, I MC events. I do our coaches shows. I do the play-by-play for radio, um, and then do the Cyclones.tv. A lot of the reporting and the features and things like that. So I keep pretty busy, but a lot of it overlaps, and a lot of it really helps the play-by-play, just because you get to know these student athletes a little bit better when yeah. you get to interview them and do features on them. And so I, I think it all kind of works together to to give me my best chance to be successful. Non-sports-related question. Um, just because I've never I've never asked this question of anybody from your state, um, and I'm curious, uh, what is a caucus like, and how many commercials are currently on television? <laughs> uh, great question again. Uh, television stations love the caucuses because uh, you know they don't have to sell a darn thing, man. I, if I ever get out of this business, I want to be a sales guy at a TV station only during caucus season because it just is, it's. Uh, so I like to say sometimes in our broadcast is stuck on automatic. You just you know, plug, <laughs> plug and play, you know, and uh, but it, it is a big deal for our state, you know, uh, to get that first opportunity to really evaluate these candidates. And the, they come in, they're here on the 4th of July. I think there were some like 10 Democratic candidates in the state of Iowa on that day. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a big deal. And. Um, you know, there's a reason why New Hampshire is fighting to try to get down there first and, and other states would like to get ahead, push up ahead of Iowa. And uh, but at the same time, man, you get tired of watching all those political ads one <laughs> after another. And uh, if politics isn't your thing, you're going to get really sick of it. But, man, it's a boon for those TV stations. I'll tell you that. John, if people want to find you, if they want to find Cyclones.tv, if they want to find the Cyclones on radio, uh, how do they go about tracking you down? Well, we're uh, a Learfield IMG College um, affiliate, you know, and so 
Um, our, our games are cyclones.tv. We, we play our audio of our games on there as well. Also, you can catch them on TuneIn, the TuneIn app. Uh, if you want to just listen to a game, uh, cyclones.tv, uh, is the, the website for, um, to be able to pay a subscription fee and to be able to access uh, a, a lot of what we do is basically free. We, we do have some that's behind the paywall, but a lot of the features that we do and things like that, we just put out free and we put it out through the accounts of uh, the Cyclone football account or Cyclone men's basketball accounts. Those are good ones to follow. I'll retweet a lot of it. My my Twitter handle is jwcyclones.tv. Um, I'm not on I'm not on Facebook. I can only handle one social media thing at a time, and so I'm just on Twitter. Um, but but we have a lot of fun with it. Uh, we have great coaches to work with and it's just a blast, man. I, I feel so blessed to have gotten into this business and to work at this university. I, uh, I just feel like it's been a fairy tale for me and I'm, I'm really fortunate. And, uh, it all started with that lucky walk into the news director's office and showing him, showing him that I wasn't worth hiring. <laughs> John, I appreciate you taking the time and, uh, and diving into some of it with us. And, uh, thanks for coming on. Oh, my pleasure, Joel. Thanks for having me. All right. Hey, that is John Walters from Iowa State. If you find him on Twitter as well, he has links to the SciCast. Uh, if you want more Iowa State coverage or more John Walters in your life, um, you can check out the Iowa State Cyclones podcast as well. So a lot of different ways that you can catch what is going on in Ames, Iowa. I, I love politics. Man, I don't know if I could do the commercials in Iowa. Like, I can't do the commercials in Indiana. It's wild. It'd be cool to be in the thick of it, though. Every four years, you get the entire national media and everybody who ever wanted to be president ever in a non-reelect year from both parties. Oh, man. Talk about being in the epicenter of the news. It's kind of cool. Kind of cool. We're on a seven-day break. Back at it next week. This is Play-By-Play Cast. My name is Joel Gadet, and we are And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.